Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your presence here this morning. We're thankful that your presence is here this morning is just as real as our own, Father. And the truth is that we need you. We need you to be present in our lives. We need you to be present in our midst, Father. Guide our thinking, our thoughts, and the meditations of our hearts this morning as we look at your word, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. This week, the, um, the big thing in the news was the death of, of Nelson Mandela at 95 years old. And Nelson Mandela was, was a remarkable man uh, who worked in the 1990s uh, to bring down uh, South African apartheid. He had been in prison for, for 27 years uh, because of his political views on apartheid. And then, after being released from prison, he was remarkably made president uh, shortly thereafter as, uh, as his dreams, in a very real sense, were realized. You know, I remember going, I remember these stories when I was a kid watching these. I wasn't so much a kid, but I remember these stories, and now they're stories that are written in history books. But often, uh, the stories and the history that's put in our children's textbooks, are not, the reality is that they're not always neat and tidy as the way that they're portrayed in the books. Because the truth is, this week, uh, Christianity Today released an article about the life of Nelson Mandela. They wanted to pay homage to him. But at the same time, they talked about some of the realities of South Africa that still exist. See, the textbooks picture it as a country that's now at peace, but the truth is that there's still a lot of racial violence that exists in South Africa. It still has a significant uh, issue with poverty and significant issue with race. The story is just not as neat and tidy as we would like to think it is. But the truth is, life isn't like that either, is it? It never seems to be quite as neat and tidy as we would like it to be, and the holidays are certainly true. The, we like to think about the holidays with all sorts of nostalgia, right? We think about the, the, the Christmas carols with the lights and all the beauty that comes with it, but often getting through the holidays uh, is not so nostalgic. It's been, what, two weeks in the Christmas season, and I think I've already said to my wife several times, I'm ready for this to be done. As much as we like Christmas and the holiday season, the truth is, is it's often full of not so wonderful things. It's full of crazy busyness. It's full of awkward conversations with weird relatives. It's full of all sorts of kind of consumerism and materialism because the truth is it's not always neat and tidy and as nostalgic as we would like it to be. But we often think of Christ's birth in those terms as well. I don't know about you, but we have a nativity scene that's in our house. It's those, uh, it's those angels with no faces, which I've always found to be very creepy. But they, it's those, we have this nativity scene with those angels with no faces, and they're all kind of crowded around uh, uh, the, the manger there. And it's just such a peaceful and wonderful and beautiful, serene scene. And many of us have those in our homes. But the, the truth is, the actual events of Christ's, Christ's birth, the actual events of the, the nativity, were much more chaotic. They were crazy. There was all sorts of up and downs. It was full of scandal. It was full of pain. It was full of frustration. It was much more chaotic. It's much less neat and tidy than we wish it to be. And part of that is because God used the instruments of people's lives. He took his cosmic story of redemption and weaved it into the lives of personal people. And it's always messy when God's plans become realized in the instruments of people. And the story of Mary really is no different. 
we often see pictures of Mary in glowing poses. There's an example right there. But the truth is, we, 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 the, the things and the events that surrounded this story of Mary were not so glowing, were not so peaceful. They were actually much more difficult. Reality was much different for her. Now, Protestants always get really funny about Mary, right? We get funny about not wanting to talk about Mary too much. But the truth is that if you read these passages of Scripture, Mary is considered to be very blessed. She is a remarkable woman. We believe that she needed Jesus just as much as you and I need Jesus, but the Scriptures point out that she was a a, a woman of faith and a remarkably blessed woman. And this morning what I'd like to do is look at three factors of Mary's story that are significant. Three factors that are significant not just in Mary's life and in Mary's story, but about the Christmas story and really about the gospel story as a whole. The first thing I'd like to look at is Mary's virginity, the significance of Mary's virginity. We read the story, and it talks about how Gabriel visits Mary. And just like what we saw last week when Gabriel visited Zechariah, Mary was immediately frightened by the presence of this angel. But the angel explains to her that she will bear a son. And Mary, of course, exclaims, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And, the, and Gabriel goes on to explain to her that this is possible because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Now, this belief in, in the virgin birth of, of Jesus has become, uh, under, has become under attack for a long time in Christendom. Many people have a very hard time believing that Jesus could be conceived in such miraculous ways. They like to chalk it up to myth, or like, they like to chalk it up to fable, fable, but the truth is, the virgin birth is actually very much a necessary thing if we're really going to understand the gospel story. Because the scriptures teach us that each and every person that's ever existed and ever lived has been corrupted by the power of sin. But that corruption doesn't come just from the individual sins that you and I commit every single day. The scriptures tell us that we are actually born into sin. We are born with the corruption of sin in our lives because of Adam's sin. The scriptures are clear that if you read in the, in the first couple chapters of Genesis, specifically Genesis 3, the scriptures are clear that when Adam sinned, you and I fell with him. All of humanity fell with him. All of humanity was corrupted because of his act of rebellion. And because of that, each and every person has been born with this corruption of sin, except for one. You see, because Jesus was conceived miraculously, he was not born with that corruption. And God knew it had to be this way. God knew that Christ, the rescuer, had to be perfect. He had to be both fully God and he had to be fully man in order for his great work of redemption to be effective. In order for his sacrifice to work, in order for it to be effective, he had to be a perfect sacrifice. If Jesus would have been born uh, like you and I, through ordinary means, then his plan of redemption would not have been effective and there would be no rescue available for you and I. You know, it's interesting to note throughout history, there's all sorts of stories, not just in history and in all sorts of faith traditions about this idea of miraculous conception. 
In the Roman times, there was a Roman god named Mithra who was believed to have some sort of miraculous conception. Buddha was thought to have a unique conception. Dionysus was conceived when a god came and impregnated a human princess. Alexander the Great was believed to have a unique conception as well. But you also see these stories in culture as well. The most recent Star Wars movies spoke about a virgin conception. And even the Superman movies that are coming out now speak of a unique conception even of Superman. And you have to ask yourself, why is this? Why is this idea of miraculous conception so important to our culture and our world throughout history? And the truth is because whether it's Superman or Alexander the Great, we instinctively know that our rescue needs to come from someone different than us. It needs to come from someone who is other, someone that is set apart, and someone that doesn't bear our corruption and our brokenness. And we know this instinctively. It's why the virgin birth, it's why Mary's virginity was so significant to the gospel story. But the second thing that's really significant about Mary's story is, the, is her humble state. You know, in Zechariah, in the narrative that we looked at last week, you see the angel coming and visiting Zechariah. And he comes and he visits Zechariah in the midst of the temple. And the temple is the very place you would expect God to show up. It's clean, it's full of all sorts of icons, it's sacred, it's beautiful. It's the very place you would expect, to God, you would expect God to show up in a really powerful way. But the Mary story is very different. It is a story about how God shows up in the most unlikely of places. God shows up to a peasant girl in a very terrible community. Nazareth, where Mary lived, was known to be one of the worst communities that existed in the area. It was a community that was insignificant. It was a community that was despised. It was unclean. It was known to be a poor town. And Mary, by all intents and purposes, was a nobody. She had no heritage. She had no social standing whatsoever. She had no cultural clout. She was the wrong age and she was the wrong gender in the ancient world. Yet remarkably, God chose her. And what you see throughout the scriptures constantly over and over again is that God chooses the weakest things. God chooses the weakest vessel, the most insignificant things to confound the strong and to confound the proud. You know, consistently throughout Jesus' life, people had a really hard time believing what he said, that he was God himself. And one of the questions that always came up was, could anything good come from Nazareth? You see, this town was so terrible, it was so insignificant, it was so despised, that people even questioned what Jesus had to say, because how could God himself come from such insignificant means? The truth is, most people believed that when God came, he would come in pomp and circumstance, he would come in power, he would come as a mighty warrior, he would come in a great demonstration of power to make right all the things that had gone on in this world. But instead, God chose to become a baby, born to an insignificant person in an insignificant town under very insignificant circumstances. And what it tells us is that God shows up often in the most unexpected places. 
I can't tell you how many times I've seen that bear out in ministry over the years, where God shows up in miraculous ways in all the places we don't expect Him to show up. People come to Christ who we never dreamed ever would come to Christ. Circumstances work out in ways that we never dreamed they would work out very unexpectedly. Grace is demonstrated in some of the most most unlikely ways that we can imagine. You know, the truth is, you may look at your life and you may think it's unexpected. You may think it's insignificant. You might be focused on the mess and the chaos of your life, but the beauty of the gospel is take comfort because that is exactly the place that God likes to show up and do his work in the most unlikely of places. The third most significant thing about Mary is her faith, her faith that is remarkable. You know, most scholars believe that when Gabriel visited Mary in this situation, that Mary was only 12 years old. Mary was betrothed at this point in her life to Joseph. And, and how marriage worked in the ancient world is that a couple would become betrothed first. This would often happen to a couple uh, when, the, when the woman was 10 and usually the, the man was 12. And at, betro- at the betrothal, what would happen is a father would approach another family and try to arrange this sort of marriage, and, what, and, a, and a deed or a contract would be signed that would secure that betrothal, and a bride price would be paid. And after that contract and that price would be paid, a year would pass. And in that year, the wife would still live with her family, and once that year was done, the couple would become married and then they would consummate the marriage. Well, at the point in which Mary is visited by the angel, she is betrothed to Joseph. She's probably only 12 years old at this point. And imagine Mary's situation. Imagine for a moment what she must have been thinking when this angel visited her at 12 years old and told her that she was about to become pregnant, and that pregnancy would be by the hand of the Holy Spirit. She had to think, who would believe her? Would you have believed her if you were in that situation and she came to you and said, I'm pregnant and it's by the means of the Holy Spirit? Imagine the whispers. Imagine the scandal that would no doubt follow her for the rest of her life. Imagine what she was going to tell Joseph about this. Imagine what she was going to tell her parents about why she was pregnant. Imagine the doubt and the unbelief that she would be greeted with as she systematically had to tell the people in her life that she was pregnant, and she was pregnant by the hand of the Holy Spirit. The passage tells us that almost immediately she went in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now this was not a short trip. It was roughly 80 miles that she traveled, and the scriptures say she, she, she went with haste. She immediately got up and departed. And the scriptures want us to try to think about how to fill in those blanks. Why did Mary leave so quickly? Is it possibly because her parents put her out of the house because of what happened? Is it possibly because she couldn't bear the scorn or the, or the questions or the doubts that she would be greeted with? So she leaves. She has nowhere to turn and nowhere else to go but her cousin Elizabeth who believed her. Why? Because Elizabeth had been greeted in a miraculous way, just like she was. You know, this event really would alter Mary's life in a way that it could never be, go back to where it was. It would alter her reputation forever. 
The whispers would never stop. The storytelling would always come behind her back. It would never cease. And she would most likely be ostracized from her culture because she would be labeled as immoral, as loose, and as a sinner. And she had to bear this all at age 12. But her, her response and her faith in the midst of this is absolutely remarkable. She says in verse 38, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And she says later, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You see, Mary's response is remarkable because it is a response of obedience and a response of joy. She understood that obedience to God was more important than any sort of social disgrace that she might have to deal with. A disgrace that she would have to deal with for the rest of her life. She saw more value in what God was offering her that she was willing to embrace the disgrace. You know, I think the truth is practically most of us, when it comes to our own faith and our own walk with Christ, most of us settle for a really bland Christianity. It's a bland Christianity that really involves a lot of low-risk and low-reward behavior. You know, the truth is we like all the benefits that come from a relationship with God. We love the, the steadfast love, the faithfulness of God. We love the forgiveness, the peace with God, the eternal security, the sonship. But many of us are unwilling sometimes to take up the risk of what it means to follow God in our lives. And as a result, many of us experience a very shallow faith because we don't want to risk anything when it comes to our relationship with Christ. We don't want to share our faith with our coworker because it might lead to some sort of awkwardness in our relationship, or we might become labeled at the workplace. We might not want to pursue the right path that is in front of us all the time because it may interfere with our attempts to build a great reputation or to climb the corporate ladder. We continue to leave God out of certain aspects of our life because we refuse to follow him into risky places. And it's why most Christians would define their Christian life as very shallow and bland and non-adventurous. But the truth is God calls us to something much bigger and something much deeper. He calls us to risk. He calls us to step out in our faith, to no longer make our success and our reputation the thing that we live for most in our life. And what you see in Mary is joy at the opportunity to, joy, to do this. Joy at the opportunity to take the risk to follow God in her lives. You see, she was willing to follow God and to go along for whatever ride God had in store for her. One writer wrote, She unreservedly embraces the purpose of God without regard to its cost to her personally. But as exemplary as her faith is in this story, as remarkable and powerful as her faith is in this story, as much of an example as it is to us, the truth is she is not the hero of the story, nor would she ever say that she was the hero of the story because she knew innately that this child that she was about to bear was the one true hero of her story and everyone's story as well. You see, God asked Mary to bear this disgrace 
for his purposes. And at times, he asks us to do risky things, too. He may ask us to bear certain disgraces, too. But he never does anything. He never asks us to do anything that he wasn't or isn't willing to do or suffer himself. Because the gospel story tells us that Mary's, that, 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 that Mary's baby, Jesus, would grow up and walk the path of disgrace and rejection himself. He would be stripped bare while his creation, the very things that he made, spit on him and ridiculed him and hurt him. He would bear the weight and the disgrace of your sin and my sin, and he would be executed on the cross, so much so that the prophet would say that he himself was a man of sorrows who would be rejected by men, his very creation. He did it for Mary, and he does it for you and for me, and he did it so that we would no longer have to bear the disgrace of our sin and our corruption. Christ himself on the cross is the hero of the story, the one who bore our disgrace in his own disgrace so that we would no longer have to be disgraced by the Father. You know, the truth is the Christmas story, the one that we're going to be reflecting on and have been reflecting on, is very far from nostalgic. It's a messy story. It's a scandalous story. It defies all of our expectations and what we think, but it is the very way in which God uncovers his love for us because ultimately the Christmas story points to the significance of Christ's sacrifice and his love for us. At the very end of the narrative, Mary writes this beautiful song of praise that I want to read for you. And in it, there is no hint of uh, despondency, There's no hint of regret, but there is only praise. She writes this, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and his offspring forever. The truth is, this Christmas season, in the busyness and in the messiness of our lives, God shows up and he demonstrates his love in miraculous and powerful and unexpected ways. My hope for all of us is that we would be reminded this morning of the good news of the gospel, whether it's the first time or the millionth time that we've heard it, that God came to take our disgrace away because he himself was willing to suffer disgrace. He himself is the hero of the story.